0: I'm Julie Gunlock, host of the Bespoke Parenting Hour. For those new to this program, this podcast is focused on how parents should custom tailor their parenting style to fit what's best for their families, themselves, and of course and most importantly, their kids. Um, so today I'm really excited uh, to be having, um, uh, to be talking to Linda Flanagan. She is the mother of three and a freelance journalist, author, researcher, former cross-country and track coach, and a lifelong athlete. Flanagan holds a master degree, master's degree from Oxford University and the Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy, and was an analyst for the National Security Program at Harvard University. She is a founding board member, uh, member, sorry, of the New York City chapter of Positive Coaching Alliance, and a 2021 advisory group member for the Aspen Institute's remaining school sports initiative. And her writing on sports has appeared in the Atlantic, Runner's World, and on NPR's education site Mindshift, where she's a regular contributor. She is also the author of a book and I can't recommend this highly enough. Take back the game, how money and mania are ruining kids' sports and why it matters, which uncovers how youth sports became a serious business. The, cons- the consequences of raising the stakes for kids and parents alike and the changes we need now. Thank you so much for coming on, Linda. Let's Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here to talk about all this. Well, it is an important issue. You know, I have to say I am the mother of one, uh, one i'm i'm the mother of three children one of which is is very interested in sports and we are constantly balancing those issues so i i'm actually very personally excited uh, to talk about this issue but 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 before i do i always ask my guests um if they employ a specific parenting style this is a podcast about parenting styles mm-hmm. and of course we don't like to I, you know the, this podcast it's called bespoke and i mentioned tailoring your parenting to your children. And there are a bunch of different styles. Sometimes people say, I don't really have a style. In my case, I sort of have a couple different styles that I bring together. Is there one that you, one parenting style that you employ that sort of defines how you parent your
1: kids? That is interesting. You know, when I, I was watching the, the, the screen credits about your podcast as I'm sitting here waiting to talk, and I, I really like the idea of, you know, one size does not fit all with raising kids. And, you know, that we have to kind of figure it out on our own. And it is dependent on your particular family and the personalities of your kids. And so to that end, I would say I don't I can say what I'm not. I'm not a tiger mother. That's not, you know, that kind of hard driving parent. Um, but at the same time, I wouldn't you know, I wouldn't classify myself one particular way. It's more, I would say, eclectic pulling from different camps. Yeah. Um and you know maybe even occasionally tiger motherish in terms of you know certain non-negotiables like going to school that sort of thing but you know <laughs> taking a shower exactly. Yes. <laughs> brushing your teeth. Basic yeah. hygiene and you know <laughs> school attendance but uh, Well, I mean
0: if we're if we're talking about sporty kids, boy. You know, trying to convince your son who is literally sweating all the time that he ha- he might actually have to take a shower every night. That is <laughs> That's, that's a reason to be a tiger mom. And <laughs> I, well, in there can opinion. be
1: a BO situation otherwise. <laughs> yeah, explaining
0: that to them. Um, Tell me, you know, in the intro, you know, I want to talk about your book and I, you know, and there's so much I want to talk to you about, but tell us what, what is Positive Coaching Alliance?
1: Positive Coaching Alliance is a nonprofit organization that was started, oh, I should know this 20, 25 years ago. Um, in California, and the idea behind it was to the, the worry or the concern that coaches weren't being, you know, were falling back on screaming and yelling and kind of old school uh, approaches to educating their, their athletes educating, I'm using that term loosely. And that, you know, one of the ways we could fix this is to train coaches to how in how to be positive, if they understand some of the tools and the science behind positive coaching that, you know, they'll adopt this. So anyway, that original chapter has then spread out across the country. And its purpose is to educate coaches in how to be positive with their athletes.
0: That's really needed. Um, yes. I think all of us are aware of the stories of not just coaches, but parents themselves. Mm-hmm. And I know we can get into that of being so intense. Uh, mm-hmm. Parents on the sidelines, coaches during the game. There is a story recently of a coach even being shot um, <laughs> on the field while the kids were watching. I mean, that's insane. And it's, I mean, that's obviously, you know, an, that's not the norm, but, but it does make you go sort of... Say what? Wait, what's happening here? Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about that. I first want to talk. I do want to talk about your book. But tell me, what encouraged you? What was, was there a thing that happened, or maybe just you, because you are a lifelong athlete and you're involved in athletics, maybe that you've just seen this trend? But was there something that happened, or what really motivated you to write this book?
1: Well, it was a combination of factors. Part of it was. um that my own experience of having kids and seeing the new environment versus this new sports environment—the intensity, the early age at which they were expected to begin—and you know, seeing that versus how I grew up and how you know this organized stuff didn't happen until much later—and also, I was troubled by my own reactions to how my son played. Like it, it mattered too much. I could tell that it mattered too much for me, and I didn't like that. But the real triggering um, impetus for writing the book was um, my experience as a coach, where I f- I felt like the why I was coaching, which was to in- encourage the next another generation of young women to embrace athletics and embrace embrace running and for all its wonderful benefits, that that was being. Um, had been kind of swept under the rug or forgotten in this race towards achievement, towards getting into a better college. And that it it just troubled me because I I feel like there are so many advantages to being active and for girls in particular to be, you know, um, kind of to be, comfortable in their own bodies which running can really do for you yeah and i saw that this was ju- it was just being um pushed aside for other purposes so that's kind of was the real impetus because I what i, I didn't like what i was seeing in you know in especially in stuff. high school sports
0: you talk about how money has and 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 kids sports we think of it you know you think of um I'm trying to think of a. I I can't believe I can't remember it. Um, like a famous kids' sports movie, you know? Oh, uh,
1: Bad News Bears. Bad News Bears,
0: right? Um, the clumsiness is part of kind of the. You know, my favorite memory of my child um, when he first started in baseball. I think it was coach pitch. It might might have been t-ball, where the ball would go out and the kids did not stay in their. Like no one stayed at first base. Or, yeah. yeah. And they would all go and they would pile on the ball. And mm-hmm. we were laughing so hard. We thought it was so great. And so you think about the original reason for getting kids, you know, partly to have fun. It really is. Yes. But you talk about this corporatizing of it and money being involved. And th- mm-hmm. that also ramps up the stakes and yeah. the intensity. So tell us a little bit about that. Because to be honest with you, I wasn't really aware of of mm-hmm. this. And I'm a mm-hmm. sports
1: mom. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the youth sports industry is now worth $19 billion. That's the estimate that is, that is thrown around. Um, and it has grown dramatically in the last 15 years. It's essentially, um, the equipment companies, travel sports are a big part of it. Um, apps and technology have kind of honed in and, you know, I we're a capitalist country and we're not people have a right to start sure. businesses and what they have tapped into is the business owners, the coaches, the strength and conditioning training, all the extras that are everywhere in kids' sports. They've tapped into parent parental anxiety about their kids' performances and about their kids' futures and you know, is this one way they can, you know, set themselves apart, distinguish themselves, you know, maybe be recruited, get some kind of advantage in college. So it, the business inside of it kind of has is collided with parental worries. And it's just then as a result, we've just seen this dramatic increase in the amount of money parents spend and, the, and just the size of the industry itself. So let's talk
0: a little bit about, you know, how to sort of shake parents loose of this obsession and 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 intensity. I keep saying intensity, there might be a better word, but this fear, I think is mm-hmm. a lot of it. And honestly, this, you know, I write a lot about fear in the parenting mm-hmm. community oh. and how mm-hmm. like advertisers, food advertisers, particularly in the health food area, like, you know, I'll never forget an article, you know, talking about how um, you should never feed your child goldfish crackers because it has a there's a ingredient that you know god you know if you like to a a trailer you know a a a truck trailer full of this ingredient yes it will harm you but like (laughs) I don't know how I would have survived parenting without goldfish crackers and yet and so I kind of was like oh that's such a stupid article but you know there are parents that'll be like okay that is off the list you know and yes so fear is a really powerful
1: I agree Uh, Absolutely. Yep. It's like fear of missing out, fear of doing the wrong thing, which I totally understand, by the way, as a parent, like when you have young kids and you're just like in the trenches and trying to get through, you know, it's very hard to say, well, you know, I don't think soccer at age six is necessary or club lacrosse at seven. Is this something we need to do? You know, Fear has a way of motivating you to do things you might not otherwise do. you know your common sense would tell you, well, I don't think that's really necessary or you know a well, little goldfish it, won't hurt you know
0: Well it also it also motivates parents and I think today we are obsessed with safety yes and the safety of our children to do quite unsafe things with their kids. I'm always amazed that, about that like I, I will talk to a mom who's terrified of goldfish crackers because of that ingredient yet she has her child signed up for every single thing the child has no free time. Yeah, the yeah. child no, does not know what the word boredom means yeah yeah I, and I don't think that's good for the kids so it's kind of interesting to me
1: yes yes I agree well and it's kind of it's um it's short- term versus long-term thinking honestly you know if you can fill up their days it's with going from kumon to um, tennis you know to then piano lessons it feels like you're doing the right thing and you know, it, it obviously it's good for kids to learn new things and to be wonderful for them to develop their skills across a domain, a variety of domains. It's just that the big picture is kind of can be lost in that. And I think it, it stands to reason and that kids be having, being able to figure things out on their own, having, being, having time to be bored and pursue their own interests without, you know, mom and dad hovering and directing is, I think we all know that that is actually what's better for kids than micromanaging it. And in sports, especially, um, this is like you say about the excessive fear about safety, which I agree, there's, it's, you know, overwhelming at times. But what has been lost in um, the you call it intensity. I would call it obsessiveness over sports. Is that doing so much of it is increases serious risks for kids in terms of catastrophic injuries, um, like ACL tears. Yes. And these are because these these kinds of injuries have become normalized, and they are not. They shouldn't have become normalized. Not in a have- young body. Yeah. No. And not even if you're 20 years old. Right. To tear your ACL. You can be hobbling around, in the in ten years, you'll have art. It's very. There's a very good chance you'll have arthritis in that knee in ten years. And if so many kids around in my neighborhood or my community, they tear their ACLs in seventh grade playing lacrosse because they've been playing too much, not enough rest, and you know. But by the, in their early twenties, they're going to have arthritis. So it's those kinds of longer-term risks down the road or longer-term impacts that um, I. I, I wish it would be It would be helpful, I think, for parents to think about, you know, wh- where are we going to be in 10 years, 15 years? And what's this going to look like then?
0: I, I want to, I still want to go back to that because I have some questions about how parents can really try to counsel themselves, like really talk themselves off these ledges. But, mm-hmm. and I'd I love your advice, but I also want to talk a little bit about the intensity is that the obsessiveness that parents have is very often passed down to the child. So the child yeah. might have a normal sort of, um, concept of their own talent, their own abilities. Um, but then the parent is, is, is constantly saying, but we can, you can do better. I, we, we know of a family, um, and their child was a very average athlete. I mean, Mm -hmm. I, I couldn't do as well as, as I wasn't as good an athlete when I was young as this child, but he was, he wasn't, he probably wasn't going to be looking at a full scholarship to a school or, (laughs) you know, or for goodness sake, you know, a career. And yes. yet when we met this family, we, you know, we met them at a sports event and, and the, and they said very, very seriously, you know, but, uh, you know, I don't, I don't even remember how we started the conversation, but they said, very matter of factly that their child is going to be in the major leagues, mm. major league baseball. And my yeah. husband and I laughed. We laughed. <laughs> we laughed hysterically. We we're like, ha, ha, ha. and then we realized they were. Serious, they were serious. And it, it got really awkward. Yeah. And this this particular family, they they must spend thousands a mm-hmm. month on coaching, um, sure. different coaches, and their child just doesn't improve. And you can tell there's tension. And mm-hmm. over the years, we saw more tension, and the it was it was rough. And. I felt so bad for that child.
1: But Mm -hmm. uh, so Mm -hmm. you've
0: got those kinds of parents. Then on the Mm -hmm. flip side, you have kids that might not have a great natural ability, but they find it fun. Mm -hmm. But then they get on these teams and it's so intense that they suddenly feel like, okay, I can't play this because I'm not as intense or my parents aren't as intense. Mm-hmm. So there's two, I always feel bad for kids who might not be that great at sports, mm-hmm. but want to kind of play just because it's fun. And, mm-hmm. and, and this is something that I've dealt with with my son. He, he, he's, he's not sort of as naturally capable as his brother. And, um, and I've, I've said, you know, you can still go out for fun, but then he goes out and, Again, the intensity of the parents, the intensity of the coach, the intensity of the other players mm-hmm. makes mm-hmm. him feel bad. So I feel like there are two victims of this mm-hmm. cultural movement of mm-hmm. you've got kids who are then stuck at home on screen time, which is another thing I'd like to mm-hmm. talk to you about.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, are, is there some recognition from coaches that they could also be dissuading kids that aren't nat- naturally good at sports? from Mm -hmm. joining. And this starts young. I mean, yeah, at a young age, I saw some intensity from coaches.
1: Yeah. Well, that's what Positive Coaching Alliance is trying to address, you know, by training, you know, the volunteer youth sports coaches about, you know, let's not go crazy here. Um, You can still emphasize uh, skills and standards and, you know, low grade discipline, like showing up on time without being making it insane and over the top. Um, I do think there is a realization on many people's part, many parents like you who think, you know, we don't don't want this high intensity experience and my child isn't, doesn't want this. And, you know, there are various groups who are trying to, you know, like the Aspen Institute um, sports and society Program has been advocating for a long time to um, improve options for kids, improve access for kids because they're also, you know, the really low-income kids have very few options. They yes. don't even have a choice of being on a, a crappy t- a team with a obsessive coach. They can't, right. they can't afford it or the parents can't drive them or whatever. Oh, and the equipment, the shoes alone, they are
0: – my son, I get him new cleats. I feel like I get him every six months. He yeah. goes out and, stuff, and we donate. But yes.
1: Painful. Yes, It's prohibitive for many, yes. for many families. And I do think there's an awareness about that this is a problem and that so many kids are quitting because, you know, it's too intense or it's just not fun anymore. Everyone's going nuts on the sidelines. So they just rather stay home. Yeah. And there is an awareness of that, but, you know, turning it around is going to take some work.
0: I think there's also intensity Um, and probably fewer umpires now. I think about these guys. These guys, you know, they're like, you know, they, they can be as old as my dad, you know, and they go out there and they're spending a Sunday on a doubleheader, right? Mm -hmm. And they're often in like standing. Yes. you know, and these for like four hours or crouching
1: behind or home. Crouching. Plate.
0: Oh, and getting hit with baseball yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And I mean, and the and goodness, basketball run and back yes. and forth, you know, and I know these guys love it. Right. And I say guys all the time because I've got three boys. I know there are female umpires and female. I need to be careful <laughs> about that, but I'm, I'm such a mom boy, a boy mom, but, um, but I think about all they do, taking time out of their day and they get yelled at by parents. It's happened. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen it happen. And I immediately schooled the the parent who who yells out because it's so inappropriate. But there must be a shortage. Is there a shortage? There of is actually, yeah. s-
1: especially since the pandemic. Uh, and there's a shortage of um, referees, officials and bus drivers. Of course. Interestingly. So, you know, and maybe this is what we need to kind of shake it up, because if you just assume that there's going to be someone out there who's willing to take abuse for five dollars an hour, um, you know, yeah. maybe you'll, there's no incentive to stop. Right. But right. there is there is absolutely a shortage at the moment.
0: Yeah, I, f- I figured that was true. Um you know, I want to also talk about screen time. I, I am mm-hmm. just going to read this because I think this is so compelling. On average, daily screen time went up among tweens, age 8 to 12 to 5 hours and 33 minutes. Oh,
1: my um, gosh.
0: From 4 hours and 44 minutes. It wasn't that much better. And to eight hours and 39 minutes from seven hours to 22 minutes for teens. So, so, you know, age 13 to 18, they're on there for eight hours. Frankly, I don't understand that. I mean, my kids are in school for eight hours and then we have heavy restrictions, mm-hmm. very heavy restrictions. I mean, my 15 year old claims he is the only boy on earth who doesn't have a phone and you know you get like this is yes. this isn't breaking news like yeah. every 15 year old mm-hmm. without a phone claims they're in like some sort of you know work camp so um <laughs> so uh um and and we we're we're really careful about limiting but i that that number just astonishes me i don't know how if, are they staying up late are they getting up they're certainly not getting up early to be on their tablets yeah um so you know partly sports helps with this, right? Yes. If, my, if my child is, you know, and my, my middle son is on a travel team, He's traveling and doing, you know, spending doing a double header. He's certainly not on screen time. So this is another reason yeah. why you, why, why why the initiative that you're working on is so important because this is one of the ways we get kids outside and off yeah. their screens. Yes, talk a little bit about how your
1: alliance works on that issue. Well, if I could just before we do that, sure. um, I, there's another study I wanted to call your attention to, and I thought you were going to maybe you uh, know of this, but just recently. Um, Jean Twenge, you know, the, the researcher, I think she's at Stanford, uh, came out with a results of a study of a million. It was a million, 1.1 million high schoolers, grades 9 through 12. And they found that psychological well-being suddenly decreased after 2012. Uh, adolescents who spent more time on electronic communication and screens and less time on non-screen activities had lower psychological well-being. Adolescents spending a small amount of time on electronic communication were the happiest. And this is—it's also kind of like, well, hmm, glad we needed to st- have a study for that because it's so <laughs> obvious. But you know, you need the data, and um, that is again. This is why. Two thousand twelve. Yes, that's when that's when phones became ubiquitous. When all kids started getting phones. And that's, that's what funny. she attributes it to. Um, this, you know, the screen time, and she's not uh, ignoring other factors like the pandemic and you know economic yeah. um, downturns. But um, this is why we need sports. This is one one compelling reason for involving kids in sports, yeah. uh, to encouraging them to play sports, inviting them to try a variety of activities, and to keep it fun because the alternative is, you know, it's, it's a challenge because the phone is intoxicating and I'm a phone addict myself. And I, I, you know, um, you know, if you're 12 years old, the phone is like very compelling. And the, and the thing is, it's funny
0: because you say I'm a phone act too. And you know, I, you know, I struggle with it. I do too. But there's always, I'm sure you deal with this too. There's always something in the back of your mind. Like, you know, I will, I'll, I'll scroll and there's something in the back mind saying, this is not healthy. Yes. Get off the couch. Yes. You know, and I'll be like, what am I doing? Right. So yeah. I'll take the dog for a walk. Like it's, it's stupid. But if you're, if you start doing that at age, I mean, it is astonishing how the how young people are when they're walking around. I mean, literally with their phone in their face or yeah. you see families who go out to eat And the kids are instantly, instantly given, And that's a whole, I feel like that's a whole other podcast, like, you know, talking about this stuff. But if you are forming habits, I think part of the reason we're uncomfortable when we scroll, right, and we kind of get ourselves out of that Mm -hmm. is because it it, it was later in life, at least, you know, for us, we were, you know, what, we were full full grown adults when social media became so ubiquitous. And so our habits had been formed to yes. not be on the phone constantly so it's you got to get the sense of i'm not doing i'm not behaving normally yeah but this is normal behavior for a yeah. lot of these people right. you know, and the other thing is is that the alternative so in my view why sports is so important um is i have two other boys one is just like insanely genetically skeletal okay mm-hmm. the boy like and he puts away a ton of food although he he's it's interesting how he eats, he he gets really hungry, and then he like won't eat for hours and hours and hours. And then I have Mm -hmm. a snacker, I have a snacker, Mm -hmm. right. And he's also not as interested, although he's, he's, a he's interested in a few sports. But the point is, is that, you know, what's the alternative, I tell Mm -hmm. him to go run a mile, or like, Mm -hmm. get on a treadmill or get on like, sports is a way to get kids exercise when they think they're having fun. Yeah, (laughs) that's a good way to put it. And we all know, that that's the best way to get exercise, yeah. right? As adults, we all get on our treadmill and maybe we put a podcast in or we try to distract ourselves from the boredom of walking on this, you know, this mm-hmm. track. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you, but you, if you ever been to a bounce house, one of those trampoline parks, it's so fun. And it turns out you just got an hour of exercise with yeah. your kids, right? right? So that's another reason to me why it's so critical is physical health. We're talking Yes, a lot about to people. get it
1: right. Yes. Yeah. Yep. That's right,
0: and and to, and and there's other things teaching teamwork, teaching partnership, you know how to get along with others. These are mm-hmm. such important things um, that I I think are kind of missed um, yeah. sometimes mm-hmm. in these conversations. So what do you see as as or wh- what what advice do you give to parents who are on this intense
1: track? Well, I think first of all, you know, it dep- kind of depends on how old your kids are, you know, and like we said, it's. Every family's different, every child is different, you know. Uh, so it, there isn't like one set answer for everyone, obviously. But I think the first thing in my book I, I identify four sort of big things which can kind of help as a pro- provide some guidance. The first is to like, you know, look at your child and follow their lead. This is, this is the, the first principle of all like youth sports reform organizations. Like they has to, the interest in a sport has to come from the kid. It can't be, I played lacrosse. So you're going to play lacrosse. Maybe they'll love it. Maybe that's what they'll choose. It wouldn't be surprising. Many kids do what their parents did, but the, they, we have to follow their lead. And, uh, if they're not enthusiastic about, you know, signing, doing some sport that you think they should, well, will offer them a variety. There's all kinds of different sports and there's taekwondo and there's more than just the the conventional, yeah. you know? Well,
0: and there's, and there's also team sports
1: mm-hmm. and there's and individuals. Individual.
0: And I always think that's really important. If they don't really like getting, a, like being with a bunch of kids, yes, there's, there's golf, there's, there's yes. taekwondo, there's a bunch of other things that they can learn to be a, a healthy person and, ha- and yes. get those concepts, but they're more by themselves.
1: Yes, know? but it kind—it really has to come from them. Yes, and I want to add, like, I also have kids. I'm not oblivious to the fact that they resist a lot of <laughs> times, and that sometimes we have to nudge them. But it's—it's it's so much healthier to provide a lot of options. You know, then they're more apt to. You could say even like, you have to pick a sport. I don't care what it is but you have to do one sport three days a week or some, whatever it is, and depending on the age of the child. But that first is to look at them and let them take the lead. The second is to keep your family close because many of these, um, as you get more involved in competitive youth sports, as your kids age, if they start clubs travel teams in second grade, you've just signed on for many, many years of, indentured servitude and not only for your child, but for you. And I think it's really important to recognize that there are these forces at work that are going to separate your family. They're going to put one kid somewhere, another kid somewhere else, split up the couple. uh, If there is a married couple, um, they're just very disruptive to family. So I think it's very important to remember what's important to you and to, you know, For most families, I think it's about having a close, strong family, you know, that's more important than winning, you know, the tournament, wherever. Um, So look, look at your kid, keep your family close. A good part of this is trying to keep perspective, striving to keep perspective. And it's really, really hard. (laughs) I appreciate how hard that is when you have kids because, you know, um, we live our lives forward, but we understand them backwards. Oh gosh. Well, that's not my, that's Kierkegaard. So, yeah. Um, But in order to do that, there are various things. I have suggestions in the book about how to keep perspective and to figure out, to try to understand if you've lost perspective or not, because it's incredibly easy. For example, ask yourself this question. If you're at a cocktail party, if it takes you five minutes or less to bring up that your son's a baseball player, you might have lost perspective because it shows <laughs> yeah. how top of mind it is. And it, I get it. You, if you're all wrapped up in it and you're spending 15 hours a week on your child's sport, it is going to be top of mind. But that tells you that you've lost a little, little perspective.
0: You, you know, I, um, I, I want to wrap up soon here, but I do have some questions about, you know, we met, we, we touched on the expense, Involved yes. in getting in, in getting into some of the, and that is to be honest with you, one of the limiting factors for us. We also knew that that certain sports are intense on a child's body, so we we worried about that, about doing the same motion. Yes, you know, you should be. Yes, and and so we told our son he is in travel baseball, but we said then you're not going to do little league. Mm -hmm. And it astonishes me because we still are giving so much to the travel baseball team in terms of time Mm -hmm. and practices. It just amazes me that some families do both, you know, they do two teams and then they actually have other sports, you know, like, um, a karate or something like that. And I, you know, I won't go too far into this, but I really, I cannot believe some, some, how much, uh, some kids are involved in. So we really limited that for my one son because of the injuries. But again, on the financial thing, I mean, it's just fees. And I I mean, two days of a hotel in New York in New York. I mean, this is, I, I, yeah, that was a burden for us. And so what effort is there? You, you touched on this and I'd like you to expand on this just a little bit about what efforts there are out there to um, maybe help defray some of these costs for, and I mean, for at need people, not not just everyone, because this mm-hmm. kind of frustrates me sometimes. Because I remember we had a, a, a child on a baseball team, and there was some donations, but it was very mm-hmm. open that it was going to this one child. And I yeah. felt bad for that. Kid. Yes. Like, you know, yeah. although, you know, it, I think it was it was given to the mother and everybody was quiet about it. But you know, what, what efforts are there to To make it more accessible, as we become more intense, yeah. No, I think there's, yeah. So I'll let you answer. It's a long question. I'm sorry about that. No, no, no.
1: Well, see that there's a lot of challenges in with youth sports, but one is that there's no. um, It's not like there's anyone on top, kind of pulling the strings who can just like say, "Well, let's do this, and we'll fix it." it." Youth sports are so decentralized that you know there's really kind of no one in charge of what's going on in your town. With your kids' team, except you know, it's all very, very hyper local generally. Yeah. So there's not going to there's not some fix where someone can some organization can say, well, here's ten billion dollars to make youth sports affordable. Right. But I mean, individual clubs and leagues are like the one you described are offering aid. That's not a great solution because for the reasons you said, I mean, it's it can be humiliating and it also doesn't really solve the problem because yeah. part of the problem is also time parents availability and, and many families just, they're working, whatever they can't disappear for two nights, right. you know, for some tournament. Right. So, um, there are collect some collective kind of, um, attempts to rectify this. One was in, um, one example is in New York state, the uh, state assembly member, Monica Wallace, um, was able to secure $5 million of annual funding for to give to low-cost youth sports organizations that provide sports to low-income areas in New York State to um, fill in the gap where, you know, the wealthier or middle-income kids right. have opportunities. These kids don't. And she yeah. did that by attaching essentially a tax on the um, proceeds from mobile sports betting. Hmm. So that's like a new thing, yes. you know, it just, getting money. It just, got
0: Mar- it just got legalized in Maryland or, or yes. where I'm living. So, Well,
1: and what yeah. she did was, you know, earmarked, was able to earmark a certain amount of money for youth sports, hmm. Low in, to help, you know, uh, provide sports opportunities to kids who don't have them. I mean, that's one sort of effort. Um, um, I think many schools are... There's an awareness that high schools need to adapt so that they're not just providing, you know, varsity athletics for varsity athletes after school. Yeah. Yeah. That there are many kids who would like to play. They may not be good enough to make the varsity team or the junior varsity team, especially big schools. You think about a basketball team. They're yeah. small. Right. Um and a lot of tons of kids play basketball. So right. some high schools are trying to offer intramurals and club programs after school. So it's not. So these are some of the, like the little movements that are happening to try to expand access to sports for yeah. a broader population and to keep it cheap. cheap.
0: Well, well, you know, the, there's another side of this sort of the other side is is um, is the the sponsor we're talking a lot about school sports but yeah the i think i'd like to close this by by sort of going back to that kid who really wants to play sports but isn't that great at it but just likes to have fun and to be with friends um and you know you know and and you know girls and boys just wanting to get outside um you know but then feeling a little nervous my, one of my sons is involved in the Catholic youth, youth organization um league it's CYO they call it CYO mm-hmm. and yep. there's a lot less intensity in that mm, and the, that's at, and that's and that's sort of um not that there's no intensity but um <laughs> but first of all the parents they it's kind of this sense of like okay you're at a school or, or you're at a church yeah like, be polite <laughs> right. yeah i'm not saying that you necessarily but i feel like there's a little bit of that and then the coaches are always really gentle with the kids. Yeah, um, and so we've had some really good luck there. Um, you know, you're a sports writer. You've been published in all these places. What are there particular like CYO? You know, that's a, a Catholic organization. Mm-hmm. Are there any private? And again, I know these costs, but sometimes, you know, it, it it's it's minimum or it's, yeah. it's not much or there is aid available. Are there any private clubs that are not school based that are not as intense that you sometimes um, suggest parents check out?
1: I don't have an answer for that. I have to be honest. I, you know, I and also love it when
0: someone throws out a totally random. No, no, no. Question it's that. fine.
1: It's a fair question. You know, it's just that I think it again. It is so local. Like in my it area, is. CYO basketball is very intense. Yeah. So. Oh, interesting. It depends. Generally, the rec programs, the YMCA yes. programs, they yes. can also be intense, but they tend to be less, less. um. Ultra competitive and just driven to uh, fixated on winning. Well, they're also not as
0: not as connected to okay colleges, scholarships, that kind of stuff. So as much as you can get out of that track, yes, um, maybe that's an answer is looking for those things that aren't connected to. It's the recreational,
1: uh, the recreational programs. If you have a Y in your town, they generally often have some kind of sports. Basketball. They have soccer. At least in my area, they're swimming. the Boys and Girls Clubs. That's right. Um, we have a, a recreation center in our town that also offers. So depending on where you live, again, it's about where you live. There can be um, certainly- low-cost, low-intensity
0: Certainly check out, check out wherever you live, check out the city's community center or rec Mm -hmm. center and see what they offer. This last question I have is much more directed at parents. And this is something I struggle with is how important it is as an adult and as a parent to show healthy habits, Mm -hmm. to, to have, have healthy habits yourself. And to, you know, we talk about, I mean, the cheapest way is to go outside and toss a ball to your kid. Right. Mm -hmm. That's now I know people have time commitments, but talk a little bit about that. Maybe your experience raising your kids and how sports was a part of it or, you know, any advice you can give to parents on the importance of of showing good, good and healthy habits. Yeah.
1: Well, in fact, my fourth uh, suggestion, big suggestion is to model what you want your kids to learn. So part of that is, you know, being fit yourself, going outside, not just you know sit, sitting on the couch with your phone and telling them to get outside, but going outside with them sometimes, and you know maybe trying a new sport. Um, I, th- I think that's so important. Uh, like my, I know my kids, two out of the three run because my husband and I are runners, and you know I, they they p- kind of absorb that from us. But the other um, important, what I think is so important about modeling with kids is also modeling and appealing adulthood. I think that's one thing that is also lost in the um, intensity and obsessiveness of youth sports is that what parents are modeling for their kids is kind of a boring adulthood. You know, it's like, boy, don't grow up because it's no fun. Once you do, all you're going to be doing is driving and buying Gatorade <laughs> and, you know, standing in sign-up lines or maybe it's all done electronically now. But Right. Um, it, or working. It, Yes. like, if, But if we can, part of modeling an attractive adulthood or, or modeling what, you know, so that is making it appealing. So it's something that they actually want to do when they get older and not like dread becoming, you know, an independent adult. Because Well, my children are looking forward to adulthood because they'll get a phone. Well, that's so, good. Um... <laughs> good for them.
0: <laughs> I can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing your um knowledge with us i think this is a intense issue that that parents deal with i think i think parents have a little trouble with self-control in this area Mm -hmm, and with setting limits and i think the tension between um keeping your kid healthy with good limits and then robbing your child of their future of a, a professional sports future you know that that is something that um that we really need to tackle. And I really can't recommend your book enough. If you could just um, mention your book, do you have it with you? You could hold, I should have it with me. I have it in some bag. Yes. I couldn't find it, but yes, here we here go. it is. Take, Take back, back the Game. Oops. It's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all of those. Yep. Are you on any social media platforms? I
1: am. Well? Um, first of all, I have a website, uh, Lindaflanaganauthor.com. I am on, uh, at lindaflanagan 2 is my Twitter. And, Uh, Linda Flanagan underscore author is my Instagram. I think I got that right, but yeah, I'm out there. (laughs) You know, you can find me.
0: (laughs) We'll put your links up on the website so people can find uh, your social media platforms. Um, I think your book is critical. I'm going to start giving it out as gifts. Um, Thank you. I appreciate that. I, I really, really appreciate you coming on and let us know if you, um, if you do any more writing in this subject, we'd love to post it on our social media network. Thanks again for coming on, Linda.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.